Hey guys, if we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. Uh, it's great to see you here. Uh, I, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I just want to let you know that um, my wife preached on this passage a couple of years ago at Flourish. And uh, we were discussing the where I'm going with, especially one of the points. And I, need, I feel like I need to say that she totally disagrees with me on one of the points. So you're going to have to see which one. It's going to be interesting. And uh, yeah, so hopefully now that you want to listen to that, I'm going to pray. We'll jump in. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I pray as we look at uh, your word this morning that you would speak to us this kind of uh, story from... 3,000 odd years ago has relevance for us today. So help us to see it. But more than the relevance that it's got for us today, we pray that you would jump off the pages into our minds and our hearts and change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when I was a kid, one of my favorite movies was The Karate Kid. Who loved The Karate Kid back in the day? A bunch of you. Okay, good. You guys didn't. Yeah. I'm going to preach to you guys. No, I'm joking. Um, but The Karate Kid was amazing, and I can remember watching it for the first time, and there was that scene where um, Mr. Miyagi is teaching Dan- Daniel LaRusso all the moves, but he's doing it, if you remember, through getting him to do jobs, like wax on, wax off, sand a floor, all this kind of stuff. And I, w- I remember watching it and going, dude, what is he doing, right? What is he doing? It just seems like this is char- you know, forced slave labor basically right and then there's a point where Daniel is really frustrated after four or or so days working doing all these jobs Uh, Mr. Miyagi goes sand the floor and then Mr. Miyagi punches him and he's able to block it and then block it and block it block it it was it was like that we didn't know what Mr. Miyagi was doing it was just totally weird and then it seems to all come together in the end I don't know about you, but I think a lot of our lives are like that kind of Mr. Miyagi, Daniel LaRusso scene where we're just going, this is kind of weird. What is God doing in the midst of it? Well, what is God doing in the midst of what I'm going through? It just seems like really weird and maybe even a mess. And yet what we're going to see in this passage, we're going to see that God has the ability, in fact, God always works his plans out of our mess, out of our risky situations, God does amazing things. What we're going to see is a very risky, a very risky thing. We're going to see three things as we look at this passage. We're going to see a risky plan, a risky situation, and a safe God. A risky plan, a risky situation, and a safe God. Let's have a look at the first point, a risky plan. Have a look at uh, Ruth chapter 3 verse 1. Remember Ruth is a Moabite. She is not an Israelite. She is following her mother-in-law Naomi after basically Naomi has had her life ripped apart by her husband and two sons dying. And now they're in Israel. And then Naomi's got a very risky plan. Have a look at it with me. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. What a great mother-in-law. She's going, well, you've got to have a husband so you're provided for. Here is Naomi really caring about Ruth. But notice her plan. Verse 2. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, 
put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. Now, notice the plan. It's a very careful plan. You think that maybe Naomi has set people up before. And she says very clearly, you've got, to, you've got to wash, you've got to put on perfume. Now, in our translations, the NIV, it says put on your best dress or something like that. In the original, it's just put on a dress. It's just a normal dress. The whole point here is that Ruth has been mourning, she's been in mourning for her late husband. And now she is meant to put on a normal dress, which says basically... She's available. She's back on the market, so to speak. And what is she meant to do? She's meant to go to the threshing floor at night. After good old Boaz has had a few drinks and a good meal, he's sleeping, uncover his, his, uh, his feet, lay down at them, wait till he wakes up, and let's see what happens. Can I say, this is utterly stupid, This is stupid. If you are a single guy, can I just say, if you wake up one night and some girl has uncovered your feet and is just there, call the police. This is a bad idea. Now, you you might go, well, well, it's risky, but is is it really a bad idea? What you've got to realise is that there's some subtle clues all the way through Ruth that says, actually, this is a bad idea. Actually, all through the Bible. If you go back to Genesis chapter 19, the Moabites, who Ruth is, actually started, their whole clan or or whole group of people started through a really, really dodgy situation. I'll let you go and read that because it's not G-rated, right? Then we read in, in Numbers 25 that the women of Moab enticed, through various means, and you can fill in the blanks, enticed the Israelites to worship Baal, their, not, their God, not the, not the God of the Bible. He is Ruth, a Moabite. So people would be thinking, well, she's probably like every other Moabite we've thought about. Not only that, chapter 1, we see that Naomi's family has a habit of making bad decisions. Instead of trusting in God when there's a famine and staying in the land, they go to Moab, which is bad news. Instead of getting their sons to marry Israelites, they marry Moabites. Not only that, have a look at 2 verse 9. Chapter 2 verse 9. This is Boaz speaking to to Ruth. He says, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Why? Well, chapter 1 verse 1 says it's the time of the judges, the time when men, to put it nicely, mishandled and mistreated women. And so Boaz has got to say, actually, guys, you need to be respectful here. This is not just common knowledge. Have a look at 2 verse 22. Here's Naomi speaking to Ruth. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, that is Boaz, 
because in someone else's field, you might get harmed. The idea is, hey, stay, stay with Boaz's field. In the middle of the day, you will be safe. And now she is saying, actually, go out at night. Go out at night. But not only that, wait till he's had a few drinks. Wait till he's asleep. And even the threshing floor. Here's what Hosea 9 verse 1 says. It's coming up on the screen. It says this. Do not rejoice, Israel. Do not be jubilant like other nations, for you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. In the ancient Near East, prostitutes would go to the threshing floor at night and ply their trade. Here is Naomi putting an idea out there that is very stupid. It is extremely stupid. I think you've got the vibe that I think it's stupid, don't you? Really dumb. We've all made dumb, stupid choices. I remember a, a, a number of years ago, when I was at school, I was in, uh, it was at the end of year 10, and uh, exams had happened, we were all kind of closing up the year and everything, and uh, my... Uh, my teacher at the time, who happened to be the deputy principal, was talking about how you put different chemicals together, different household chemicals together, which I won't tell you which they are, and they make different gases, like heaps of gases. And he talked about two very, very household type things that you can put together, it makes a lot of gas. You put them in a, a, uh, a plastic bottle and it makes a very loud bang. And it was that day, me and my friends wanted to be scientists. And so what we did is we decided to have a sleepover. And when, when our parents were, when my parents were asleep, we snuck out. And we made these little bombs and they made this big loud bang. Then one of them, one of my friends thought, oh, the next time we had a sleepover, why don't we put it in some mailboxes? So that's what we did. And then... The deputy principal's son had the idea of putting it in the principal's mailbox because no one will find out. <laughs> and then by 10 o'clock the following morning, my, the teacher who taught us how to make this thing had figured out that we'd done it. We were suspended from school and we were marched in front of the police individually. And I can remember sitting there with my mum in tears going, this is a very stupid thing that you did. A number of years later, 2005, uh, my family and I were going uh, over to, to Denmark to celebrate my grandparents' 60th wedding anniversary. And I was renewing my passport. And where I was trying to renew it, something flashed up on a computer screen and said, you've got to ring this number and you've got to quote this number. And she wrote it down, thought, this is a bit odd. And I rang up the number and I quoted the number because it turns out that if you admit to blowing up a bunch of mailboxes, what happens is, and the policeman doesn't like you because one of your friends gave him a bit of lip, he puts you on an international terrorist database. <laughs> and if you are trying to have your passport renewed, you've got to sit down in a room with the Australian Federal Police and three very, very serious looking dudes. 
And then what you have to do is tell them what, really what happened. And they walk out of the room very, very stern-faced and spend 15 minutes out the room and then come back laughing about it. <laughs> and then you've got to tell all the whole office what you did so they can laugh at you. And then I remember as one, one guy was going, he said, you shouldn't be on this list, we're going to fix it up, you can go, get your passport, you're fine. And he goes, but it was a very stupid idea, wasn't it? And I had to say, yes, it was. We've all done stupid ideas. Or, or, but this is an even more stupid idea. You are putting, Naomi, you are putting Ruth in danger here. Like, can you think of a more harebrained plan? I mean, she could have gone, hey, why don't you actually go to Boaz and just ask him over for dinner? And then you can say, hey, you know, you're you're part of the family. You're meant to redeem us. Why why don't we get married? Could do that. No, but no, we, we go with a really dumb idea. And notice, Ruth, what Ruth does. She says, verse 5, I will do whatever you say. She doesn't think through it. She goes along with it. One of the things you've got to realise about Ruth, in, in, in our Old Testament, or, or you know, our English Bibles, it, it's right after Judges because it's put chronologically. In the original Hebrew, it's actually in the, the wisdom literature. The idea is that Ruth is meant to actually make you wise. And part of it making you wise is, I think, by saying Ruth's, sorry, Naomi's really, really bad advice, really bad plan, and asking the question, where do you get advice from? Who do you get advice from? Here is Ruth obeying Naomi. Why? Because she's her mother-in-law. And it's really bad advice. I think one of the things in our society is that we don't think who to get advice from, we just react instinctively, right? So if you're more down the progressive end, what happens is, what progressives do, it seems like they listen to the marginalised, right? And we want to listen to marginalised people, but but we take our cues from the marginalised, the poor, the broken, the dispossessed. If you're more conservative, what we usually do is we, we look to status or age or if someone is put together, they've got the right kind of uh, personality and we look to advice from that, from those kind of people. I think Ruth 3 is saying, be very careful who you take advice from. You can take <coughs> advice from someone instinctively that you think you should and they may share advice which is not biblical, that is instinctive, that's based maybe on their culture, maybe on their degree or something, but is not part of the Bible. I can remember um, hearing about a church which did not allow, there was was a guy who was a plumber and he wanted to be an elder and they kept saying no, 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 because in this church, one, he wasn't old enough, and two, he came from the wrong profession, and yet he was a very wise and godly man. Who do you take advice from? Do they actually give you biblical advice, or advice that just seems worldly and wise? See, this is a risky plan, And it makes us think through, where are we getting our plans from? But also, this is a risky situation. That's the second point. Have a look 
at verse 6 with me. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. It's a miracle that she got there without being harmed. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Can you imagine how scary it was? I remember watching a... um, uh, a documentary New Kids on the Block I've repented of my sin don't worry it was New Kids on the Block and they talked about being on tour in, in Scandinavia and one of them went into his room after playing a show and there was 11 girls there and he just freaked out he goes how did you get here why are you here got security he freaked out I dare say here is Boaz probably freaking out. He asks, who are you? He knows there's a woman there. Now, Boaz could do one of three things. He could assume she's a prostitute and take advantage of her. No one would know. This is the, dark, this is the thick of night. And no one's going to believe a Moabitess. He could uh, you know, think she's a prostitute and just send her away and she'd be disgraced. Or he could do something else. Let's see what he does. Here's what she says. I am your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a garden rede- guardian redeemer of our family. She calls herself a servant. She says, oh, I'm serving you here. But notice what she asks. Spread your garment. Literally, it can be translated wings. It's basically saying, hey, you're, you're meant to marry me. Because you are my guardian and redeemer. You are part of my family and we are in trouble and so you're meant to redeem me. That's Israelite law. Here, here it's interesting. She is a foreigner. She is a woman. She is a servant and yet she is ordering him. And Boaz could go, what are you doing? That's not what he says. Have a look. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. Your kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. Your kindness is greater to me than than you showed to to your mother-in-law. Why? You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All of the people of town, my town, know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am the guardian and redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian and redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. He says to her, guess what? I, I will marry you, but guess what? There, there's someone who is closer related to you. He, he's actually, he's meant to go first. He's meant to have the choice. Now, one of the things, uh, let let me say this. A lot of people will go, isn't Ruth a romantic love story? So beautiful, isn't it? Can I just say, that's just not true. There's nothing in this text which says that, that Boaz was in love. There's nothing in this text which talks about, you know, uh, Ruth's beauty or anything, which is normally in ancient Near Eastern romantic love stories. Now, here is a man, because of his character, who does the right thing. Here is a man who not only says, yes, I'm going to redeem you because that's my job. 
but I'm going to ask someone else if they want to do it for because that's the right thing to do. He is a man of great character, as it says in chapter 2, verse 1. And so what happens? Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me your shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed a bundle on her. Then he went back to town. He gives her this lavish gift. And he goes straight to town. Why? Because he is on a mission. He's got to redeem this, this poor Mo- Moabite lady. Notice in this passage, though, it is, though they are both in a very sexually charged environment, though they are in a very risky situation, both of them do what is right. Do what is right. Have you ever been put in a situation that is very risky? And you don't know what to do. The answer of of that, or what you should do, is the right thing. What God would have you do. You will be put in situations living in this world which are very risky, where it could go awry very badly. The question is, are you going to be a person of character? Are you going to be a man of character like Boaz? A woman of character like Ruth, a godly man like Boaz, a godly woman like Ruth. Jane is new in the office. It's it's a new job. And she is very, very concerned about making a really good impression. And there's this nice guy working a few cubicles down. He's really cute. Everyone loves him. And kind of awkwardly, he comes up and asks her out in front of pretty much everyone. No one's looking, but everyone's listening. Jane is a Christian, and she knows this guy isn't. She's put in a very awkward situation, knowing that at her new job, to actually say no to this guy means that it's going to be awkward. So what does she do? She says no, because Jane is a woman of godly character. Fred goes out with his friends to watch the footy. They have a great time at the footy, and then they decide to go to the pub afterwards. And they've had a few beers. It's a great time. And then one of the guys goes, oh, I know a strip club that we could go to. And everyone goes, oh, I don't know. And they're going, no, 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 our wives will never know. And so the whole crew is going and Fred is there. And he wants to be one of the guys, but, but he, he knows he should. And what does Fred do? Fred goes, guys, I can't go. I've got to go home. And they rip him off for the next three months. But Fred does that. Why? Because he's a man of godly character. Lisa is at work and she is asked to sign off on a document stating some things that happened that absolutely didn't happen and she knows that. She is told that, hey, sign this off. It's only small. It's only small. It doesn't really matter. 
Just sign it and guess what? That promotion is coming up. I'll put in a good word for you. In fact, I'll get a bunch of people to put in a good word for you. But if you don't, you'll never get ahead here. What should she do? Lisa says, no, I can't sign this. Why? Because Lisa is a godly, or is a woman of godly character. Jim is offered a job opportunity at work where if he takes this job opportunity, his salary will go up. He he will have more power, more people asking about him. There's millions of perks, it seems like. But if he takes this job, it will take away so much time from the family. He will lose out of time spending time with his kids, not only just fun time, but also time to read the Bible and pray with them. Jim refuses to take the job because he is a man of godly character. When you are put in awkward situations, what do you do? Are you a man or a woman of godly character? Some of you guys are going, well, hands, but, but like, if, if I choose not to go out with that guy or choose, you know, going against that promotion, I'll leave that stuff on the table that I really want. Are you saying that, 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 I, that I should? Well, hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says... Whatever you give up for me will be worth it. Whatever you give up for me will be worth it. Remember that. When someone at work puts you in an awkward situation. When your mates put you in an awkward situation. Yes, make the right choice. Because if you get on a heart level how costly... And how precious Jesus is and what he has done for you. It will make the difficult and costly decisions easier. Knowing that loving you cost him everything. And so this costly decision is nothing compared to the costly decision he made for you. And this costly decision is worth it. Because in a million years' time, you're not going to go, I wish, I wish, I wish. No, you're going to go, man, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I trusted Jesus. In In risky situations, what do you do? Do you trust in Jesus and follow him? Are you a man or woman of character like Ruth and like Boaz? Finally, our last point is a safe God. Have a look at... Verse 16, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? You can imagine Naomi's up all night going, I wonder what's happened, right? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. The the irony here is, in the original, it says, don't go back to your mother empty-handed. If you've been here with us for a few weeks in chapter 1, Naomi complains that God has made her empty. 
actually God has been working this situation to give her everything that she wanted. Verse 18, Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. They are resting, they are waiting. But all the way through, Ruth, we know that God has been in control of everything. God has been doing amazing things. And you see this in a very subtle way. In chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz talks about God spreading his wings around Ruth. In chapter 3, verse 9, Ruth goes to Boaz and says, spread your blankets or wings over me. The point is, God is showing us that Boaz's prayers were answered in himself. God is working out all through this risky situation. This is, this was a stupid, stupid, stupid plan, and yet God works his plans through it. I don't know, have you ever been in a mess of your own doing? Well, God is not looking down on that mess and going, I'm confused, even though you may be. Maybe you're here and you are, you're in a marriage and you're thinking, why did I ever marry this person? This person is so different from me. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. God is in control. He is sovereign over even your marriage. He is working through it. Maybe you're here and you are in a dead-end job and you don't know how to get out. God is sovereignly working his plans through you at this job, even though you don't know what's happening. God takes our risky situations and plans, even though we don't know what he's doing, and crafts his plan out of them. I've got a mate named Andy. Andy is a really good friend of mine. He was one of my best men at my wedding. And, but Andy's got a peculiar thing. Andy hates when he's driving to go on major roads. He just hates it. He avoids it like the plague. He, he avoids uh, traffic lights and everything like the plague. We were in a band together and Andy would drive the whole band to the gig, right? And it was weird as we're going through all these side streets and everything, I didn't know where Andy was. I didn't know where we were. And then out of, out of the blue, we would turn a corner and there we are, right at the gig. He had this kind of Jedi thing that I just couldn't get, right? And yet, it seemed like, even though I didn't know where we were and what was happening, it seemed like Andy had a plan still to get us exactly where we needed to be. God is a God like that. You may not, you may be in the passenger seat of your life and you're looking, hey God, I don't know where we are, I don't know where you're going. But God has a way of working through your life to bring you exactly to the place he wants you to be. So the question is, are you going to trust him? Are you going to trust him through the weirdness and the risk of life? Because God always seems to work in weird and risky ways. Imagine if you were in Jerusalem, say, 2,000 years ago. And you followed a, 
a group of people out to a hill just outside of Jerusalem, and there there was three criminals, or crim- what you heard were criminals, and they were nailed to a cross. And one cries out in the middle cross, goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And everyone's laughing at him and jeering and, 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 and everything. If you were there and you were a normal Israelite, you'd be going, what? what, what? God, God's not doing anything here. This is just utter terrible. Uh, this is terrible. And yet you would be wrong. Because even in that situation, what is God doing when Jesus dies on the cross? He's saving you and me. We would not have expected, we would not have planned out God's plan like that. But God has a way of creating a plan that we would never plan. Seeing it through, and it ends up being the best plan. As we're going to see next week, Boaz redeemed Ruth. And as we've seen today, it was a really weird plan. But what we see on the cross is that God has redeemed you through Jesus. Through a very, very strange plan. And if he can redeem you through a very, very strange plan, can't you trust him when it seems his plans for you are a bit strange? How about we pray? Father God, I thank you for this kind of weird story where it just seems like you know a really bad plan. Lord, I thank you that you don't look down on our bad plans or the confusion that we're in and you go, I don't know what to do here, but you are in control of it all. Thank you that you are working through all the messiness in our lives to bring about your good and sovereign plan. And I pray that you would help us trust you through it all. Through times when we don't know what you're doing. Help us to look to the cross and go, yeah, but you know what you're doing. Lord, help us to make wise and good decisions. Knowing that you have got our best interests at heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing before the God. I walks all things for our good. Let's stand and sing together, please.